And now, the Andy Greenwald Podcast. Andy, Andy. Welcome to the Grantland Network. My name is Andy Greenwald. It is an exciting day here in the New York studio. My guest is one of the most beloved performers, I would say, of all time. Wow. He might not say it. I will definitely say it. And the, the funny thing is, you might not recognize his face. And there's a new documentary that is out to help correct that. Since 1969, he has been performing the characters of Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch on Sesame Street. Carol Spinney, welcome. Thank you. I mean, thank you. <laughs> First, we're going to speak to Carol, and then I believe we okay. have some other guests that we could call into the oh, studio. Sure, yeah, I know we do. If need be. Um, I feel like I've known you my whole life, but we've never met, and I imagine many people say that to you. I think so, yeah. It's kind of the effect of, of a pretty nicely done show. Yeah, a nicely done show, yeah. but a pretty remarkable performance as well. Oh, thanks. Um, we're talking specifically because there's a documentary that it's called uh, I Am Big Bird. Uh, that could be about no one but you. Um, Tribeca is releasing it in theaters and in video on demand um, May. Someone should help me. I believe it's May 6th. It's the first week of May. Um, and we're recording just before that. That's correct. I, I read that it was initially suggested that it would a project as a project that would chronicle your last year performing on Sesame Street. That is not the case. I don't know who said that. That was That's, completely not true. No. Because <laughs> no one has suggested that you take a last year. No, certainly I, not I have you. no intentions. The the goal is to do at least fifty years. At least fifty yes, years. We have only four and a half more to go. This, that's true. You're in the midst of working on the forty sixth year. You're almost there. This is an amazing, unprecedented run, I would say, in the history of television. What is your schedule on the show at the moment? How often do you perform? How often are you there? Well, we used to make one hundred ten shows. It would take like uh, the first years before we got down pat and, yeah. and really rolling. It took seven months the first year. Wow. Then we cut it down to more like four and a half, five, five, or maybe five and a half. Five and a half. So, uh, but that's back when we made 110 shows, uh, plus 20, which were rehashes of earlier ones that kids would never remember. Yeah. Because they're only three years old or whatever. <laughs> that's right. So uh, uh, then we, uh, we, we're now down to making merely, merely 26 shows. So therefore, I'm not in New York as much as I used to be. I've, and it's funny that when the movie, uh, I wasn't in the early days. I wasn't too happy here because right. I had no place to stay for one thing. But it was kind of it was a messy city there. Yeah, it was a very it's, different city. Yeah, and it's beautiful now. And I've fallen very much in love with the city because my wife is from Brooklyn originally, mm -hmm. and uh, she's a Long Island girl. And I fall in love with the whole area because of her. I want to talk to you about your first years on the show, but I actually wanted to go back a little further. Um, I was fascinated the, the material in the film uh, focused on your very early life and suggests that you fell in love with puppeteering <clears throat> from a young age. What what was the spark? Was there a show that you saw? And what, yeah, what spoke it was to you? a show I saw. I, I when I was about five I, in kindergarten, um, I saw a puppet show. They we had to walk to a different school. We had a very humble little city school in part of Waltham, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And so we'd have to hold on to each other's hands and walk up the long sidewalks to the New Hall School where there was a show about the three little kittens who had lost their mittens. It was just right for a five-year-old. As they do, yeah. And uh, they were little... I, I thought they were just little little stuffed animals moving, but they moved, their arms were moving. They were puppets. After At the end of the story, the They'd found their mittens. Uh, the players stood, 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 uh, 
they were just under a big folding screen yeah. holding up behind you wouldn't see them and uh there were there were college students or high school students like five year olds don't know how old kids are they were big kids you would think <laughs> you were a high school student perhaps Right. Because you're young looking. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't know I was getting compliments out of this interview, too. Yeah, so uh, I, would, I thought that was great when they, I said, also they had, I didn't know the word puppet yet, on their hands, and they were telling a story using them. Yeah. It was much more fun than somebody just reading a book to you. Right. Although that's nice, but there's nothing like that. So I said, I'd love to do puppets when I grow up. And I saw another puppet show a couple years later, and that really inked it into my heart that I wanted to be a puppeteer. And, uh, of course, World War II came along, and when I was seven, going on eight, and uh, I heard the president say, my fellow Americans, the Japanese have dastardly bombed Pearl Harbor, and I had no idea how it was going to affect our lives. It was a very different time in America then Yeah, when uh, when, uh, things were rationed. uh, Speed limit was... uh, 35 miles an hour in all of America, and about 15 miles an hour at night. Wow. Because most of your headlight was taped over with black tape. Right. Because we, we didn't want to get bombed. And every house, they'd come around and say, we can see a crack of light uh. Uh, up from your living room window, and you have to put black cloth over them. Yeah. So it was very different. And uh, it, 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 we all had a lot of camaraderie yeah. about it. In a way, it was gives me... I'm glad I went through that only because I know how strong Americans can be when they when they know it's a nitty-gritty situation. You're going to do it or, or fail. There's no room for failure. I'm I, curious if that kind of experience also helped you appreciate the escape of imagination in a way. Um, yeah, there, there, there was no television, but radio was a, an imaginary yeah. world because they would say uh, you'd hear cr- crunchy footsteps in the snow and you'd hear wind it's so cold. Look, there's the castle up there. Right? And look, it's going right up through the clouds. You just would believe it. Yeah. And uh, you couldn't. It was too expensive a set to build. When they first went to TV and 47, 48, little productions, they were strictly room in a room or, you know, household scenes or things. Not not right. mountains going into the no clouds. No walking in the snow. Right. Yeah. So uh, it was an imagination time. But I really wanted to do a puppets. And I found a, a puppet just recently that I had bought then really? when I was eight for five cents, a monkey, a little monkey puppet. I already had a stuffed green flannel snake my mother made. We didn't have much money, and nobody did then. And uh, she built me a, a flannel snake. That I decided I could use like a puppet. Mm-hmm. I built a little crude theater with wood and cloth we had and stuff and some benches in our little barn. And I put an ad in the local post office. It's a small little town. South Acton, Massachusetts. So I, uh, I said, Puppet Show, two cents. And I did a little cartoon with it and uh, of a monkey. And uh, 16 people came. Wow. At two cents each. That's 32 cents. That's pretty good. Back in 1942, that would buy you uh, three admissions to the movies on Saturday. Nine cents admission. And a penny, you get four pieces of candy, candy then. This is a pretty good... Return, yeah. I think. I remember if, if you if you had a dime and got a Milky Way, you'd feel sick before you could finish eating it. It was so rich. Yeah. Now they're kind of skinny. Yeah, compared to that. But anyway, that was that was it. I, 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 everybody went away smiling. I can't imagine what I did for a show. Yeah. I, I think I sang a little song or something. 
but I did some stuff for good over half an hour. And uh, so I said, that's it. I'm going to be a puppeteer when I grow up. It's amazing to me because there's a performing of any kind takes a certain kind of bravery. I mean, you're putting yourself out there. You're doing your voices. You said you were singing even at that age. But the thing about puppeteering is that it's both completely present in performance, but it's also slightly anonymous. You are losing yourself in the character. You're yeah, behind I, the screen. I, I was a little afraid to stand up in front of right. people and do anything like that. But, but if you ever worn a costume and nobody could tell who you are, you become quite uninhibited. It's freeing. Yeah, and uh, so it was to be hide the clo- a cover of cloth. They can't see me, but they can see what my hands are doing. It must have been a pretty crude show. But <laughs> no, no reason it was to enough to it encourage <laughs> me to realize that uh, that it's nice to have a goal. Yeah, I found that out more later. And uh, at the at the same time, just before that, I discovered how much I like to draw, and so I decided to become a cartoonist or a puppeteer. That was my childhood. Then I finally, as time went on, realized I'm going to be a puppeteer and a cartoonist. Yeah, why not? So I got to be both. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, the the film, the documentary, covers some time after that, your time in the Air Force and your time on the Bozo Show in Boston. Uh, the moment that I was very curious about was you talk about um, seeing Jim Henson for the first time, seeing yeah. him, uh, him, him introducing himself to you, but there's a sense that you knew who he was, that he was a, a public figure already in the 60s, and you say that he was a genius and I'm partic- in the film, and I'm particularly yes. curious, what made you think that then, as a relatively young man, to yeah. see someone else doing puppeteering? So what does a fellow puppeteer see in Jim Henson in the 60s that says this is... Well, I, I saw he, he did a series of cartoons for a coffee company, and uh, they they were only uh, nine sec- eight, actually eight seconds. Right. They they were t- they were called a ten second commercial, but you have to have a little room for it to roll in or so. Right. So uh, uh, so it, they did a devastatingly hilarious bits in eight seconds. That's hard. Yeah. Uh, there's a little uh, Kermit looking character, uh, like but not really a frog, and uh, another one like him only much more. Uh, sturdy and stolid looking and it, the littler one is standing by a little cannon stubby little cannon and he says do you drink Wil- Wilkins coffee? he says no boom he blow him right off the screen <laughs> he said then he turns the cam- the cannon goes to- looks at us and says how about you do you drink Wilkins coffee? you know and then because he said oh my god I better start <laughs> better buying start now <laughs> what was amazing too I mean I-, I think I've seen some of his earliest work and it's so alive, and as you said, it's crude. I mean, it's it's like a sock puppet with the ping pong balls, but it's yeah. completely alive, and that's that's yeah. magic. That's that's I think his he just could picture how something should look in a very simple, forward way, and uh, but there's not everybody could see things that way and get too elaborate and too, too dramatic or whatever. Right, and uh, he just didn't know how to put his hand right in the right place at the right moment. And in the right frog. Yeah. But there's a there's an element to the, the journey that you take in the as described in the documentary where you just you, you were you were doing well, you were successful, you've been doing the Bozo show for a number of years. Um it, it seems almost as if seeing what he was doing, you felt like it was like graduate school, finishing school. You had to go to become a better puppeteer yourself, you had to work with him. Is that a fair assessment? Well yeah, to actually to be I mean, it couldn't have been more flattering as a, a would be puppeteer to get do well, I was already doing puppets for years. Right. This is the sixtieth year of my first TV show in right. Las Vegas, Nevada. I paid ten dollars a week. Wow. In nineteen fifty-five, and uh, it must have been a terrible show. I didn't even have a monitor, so uh, <laughs> so you don't know what it was. Probably not any better than the first show I did, 
So although I'd been doing puppet shows yeah. starting when I was 12 uh, for birthday parties and all kinds of occasions to make a little money. Yeah. But but then you finally you met Henson himself in Salt Lake City, and he saw you have a, a failure of some kind on stage, but he invited you well, to come it, to New York. But everything went wrong when they threw the light on it. I couldn't see the puppets to do a proper performance. Yeah. And uh, Jim was in the audience. I was freaking out. So I came out, tried to correct the situation since nobody was helping me. And I said, can we get that light out? But I had a lot of funny things to say, apparently. <laughs> and the audience was laughing a lot. Uh, so Jim actually later on intimated that had I not had the thing go wrong, he wouldn't have seen how funny I could be because I can't sit write jokes so well. Right. It's kind of that the spur of the moment and the anxiety might come forth with that. Right. Uh, it forced me to think there must be something funny about this and find it and say it. Well, and also the life came out, like the real life in the moment yeah. came across and what he, you're doing. So his, his word to me was, I liked what you were trying to do. <laughs> yes. Damn me yeah. with faint praise. Yeah. And it was, uh, that was great words as far as I was concerned. I was morose as could be having this thing I'd worked for over a year to build a, a real, because I was going to present these dramatic, uh, beautiful uh, photography of, yeah. uh, of a lot of art, museum art, uh, but some of it funny, some of it just serious and pretty. Yeah. So, uh, but hard, some of that, Got to be seen, but not much. Right. Enough. <laughs> yeah, just enough to get the job. And so he had you come meet him in New York for what was going to be Sesame Street. Is that right? It was. Yeah, not- but you come down and talk about the, you know, what he wanted me to do. And so I went down to see him. And uh, and you I, were you were comfortable in Boston, so coming to New York, as you said, it was a different yeah, city then. I was then. making good money yeah. back then. Back in uh, the 60, starting around 67, 68, I was making about 25000 a year, which put me in the top 2% of American earners. Wow. I, I, I had to – I went to New York to apparently take a big pay cut. Oh, no. <laughs> so, but, but you walked in, and it was important. I mean, there was something about this. Oh, I, I, I – just to have this fine and kind man yeah. telling, showing me stuff. And uh, um, one t- at one point he had to I – I have to leave you for about an hour. I have to, some phone calls I've got to make about some future stuff I hope I could do. And so he says, here, all these drawers, there were cardboard files, and the, there are, all these drawers are filled with puppets. So you can you can play, open them up and play with them if you want. And so I would pull up, here's a drawer full of Kermit's, drawer full of Rolf the Dog. Hi, I'm Rolf the Dog. Oh, I could imitate him. That's yeah. Jim is, My name, I'm a Muppet. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Like, what do you think, Jimbo? And so uh, I, I was fascinated, so I'd have any... Uh, he had already taught me that on that first talking together, just go in front of a mirror, and I oh, and I can teach you a lot right there with a mirror. You should always rehearse in front of a mirror because nobody individually had little cameras then. Right. Now if you have a camera, set it up so you can see it on the TV and work off the, your own TV as a monitor. What did he teach you just in the, in the first in, interactions with him that you didn't well, know, having done this already for a number of years? I had never rehearsed in front of a, a mirror. Simple but good idea. And the next thing he said... As I was talking, I said, "How are you doing?" And, and he said, "You're you're moving your upper hand, the the clustered fingers. Right. Uh, instead, you move only the thumb, because we don't talk with our head bouncing up and down. Right. Our jaw may move a little, but actually that doesn't even go up and down very much. Mostly, it's the tongue and lips shape the letters and words that we speak. But he taught me. He, he just mentioned all that in a simple way, 
and because I've been doing some puppets, not too bad yeah. for that, but not on the level of the Muppets. I, to me, it was like, I'm not worthy. Right. Um, it was amazing also in the documentary, you know, there's many Talking Heads interviews with people you've known and worked with over the years. Um, Frank Oz is throughout the film, and, you know, he's such a, I, I don't, I've never met him in person. In the film, he comes across as such a deep-thinking guy, such a cerebral very, guy. Uh, uh, very, very much an intellectual uh, and comedy genius, because he could be quite serious yes. and, and harsh, but then he puts the puppet on, and you're on the floor. The very first thing he says is, you're, you can't believe, uh, we, we took a puppet to use in China. It was supposed to be the, the uh, phoenix. Yes. But a phoenix is a very sensuous, beautiful, curvaceous, long, sort of built like a, a, a peacock, except its, its tail was always furled and long and, mm-hmm. and beautiful, serpentine-like. And this thing looked, he said, uh, he put it on and it had a very stiff neck built of a, a broomstick, but it was all covered with gold yeah. red feathers, gold-tinged red feathers. So he, he says, I'm a Las Vegas chicken. <laughs> and, uh, and then he says, uh, so he said, next thing he says, take my wife, please. <laughs> but, I mean, to hear of, of this bird yeah. that we're not going to use yeah. because it just didn't look quite right for all we've been feeling as we were working through our way through China and uh, it, on scenes of, of breathtaking places. And uh, so we did. We made a, a bird you could see only by computer-generated lighting, which right. was very little computer-generated uh, image stuff then. During that time, yeah, I remember the film. So that was first of that. What was it like to to work so intimately with people like Frank, who who took? I mean, I, it was amazing to see how, de- as you said, how deeply he thinks about the art and the significance of what he's doing. Which, you know. It, it wouldn't have been Sesame Street if anyone thought of it this way, but other people could say, "Oh, it's for kids. We're playing with puppets." But he, this was serious art. Yeah, I've had. I've, I remember when I was in Boston, uh, we were doing a special, and uh, we were doing a story I made up about uh, um, Clown a lot instead of uh, Camelot, because mm-hmm. I worked with the Bozo, the clown, mm-hmm. and we, my mother had built a, a puppet of Bozo, and I had a, the idea: you come in, if he would walk into the back of the theater, he'd turn into a puppet, and so he'd. <laughs> To his own puppet. Yeah, he needed needed more training, but uh, understood. Still, he was a great guy, and uh, so. But one, the, the the guy played the wrong record, and we were using Richard Burton's stuff. Yeah, is that his name, Burton? Yeah. Richard Burton Camelot. Yeah. yeah so he, uh, if you play a thirty-three record at forty-five <laughs> RPM, it gives you a, instead of a Camelot, it's Camelot, Camelot. <laughs> you know, and uh, so, but instead, it's he played the wrong cut, so it was oh, no. Guinevere, lamenting oh. how hard it is to be a princess yeah. or, or a queen. And I, I said, cut, cut, you can't use that. It's, he said, oh, it's just puppets, doesn't matter. I said, just puppets? We've just presented a story, and yeah. we hope they'll buy the idea that this little uh, guy is the lost prince Clown Prince of Camelot, of Clownalot, yeah. but we in the songs that we'd call it Camelot. You can't change everything, That's, and it was a you know, cheap, nice little production. But he, the guy got me quite angry when he said, "It's just puppets; it doesn't matter." No, come on, your puppets tell a story that can be just as real feeling as other stories if there are stories of imagination. And that's what's always been so truly miraculous about Sesame Street is that it's always taken very seriously the the act of speaking to children, teaching children, entertaining children. Um, 
never talking down, never dumbing down. No, we don't. And that's always been the way it's been consistent. And what's amazing to me to imagine is that, you know, the, Sesame Street has been doing that since the beginning, and that's now 46 years ago. Yes. How did you know, as collectively you, how to take that tone, how to, how to speak to children? Well, a great thing, I think it was a, a selection of wonderful writers and, and uh, creative people who were put together by first the uh, people who, who had searched what they should do for the educational value and level. Right. So uh, they, I th- it was a case of getting the right people who understood. And, and one of the, one of the uh, writers said, I think it's be just as important for us to be as funny as possible yeah. as well as just as, as, and just as value-wise educational. And uh, they think they achieved that. But I, I remember I had noticed about myself, I would talk to a child who was four years old, but I would talk to them like you might talk to an eight-year or mm-hmm. nine-year-old, and they would be surprised, but they would you'd get an amazing, considerate thought from this child. Yeah. I always treated them like they're a real person, not just cute little kid. Yeah. I, I do love cute little kids. They're cute. But uh, it's fun to treat them like uh, – because you'll be surprised – they do a lot of thinking. If you think back, they're people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's and that's amazing. It's amazing to see. Um, when uh, you began Big Bird right at the beginning, did you take to the character? Was it a, a, just a question of you fit into the suit? How did you fall into this character that came to well, define your uh, the character, uh, Jim? I, I I could I never felt that I could ever be as incredibly clever and and uh, creative thinking as he. However, he did think that big. I think I just I, deep down didn't. I wouldn't even say that to him, but I didn't agree that he should necessarily be uh, a, a big goofy silly bird. Yes, I want to talk about this. This was yeah. an enormous shift that defined the character. Right. Initially, so, it was going to be goofy. It was a script. Thanks to one of the writers, script. He didn't. We didn't discuss it. The, the script came along, and Big Bird was supposed to be sees all these children going into this uh, place in a big building, and uh, he then he realized there were children. He wanted to join those children. But if he was just a big goofy guy hanging around Sesame Street, there's no purpose for him to be there. That's right. And so I said, I think I should play him like as a kid. And that transformed his whole approach to life because uh, and, and we were had not fully gained the praise and recognition we had gotten. Because I don't know whether it's uh, just a month or three months after we started. Probably only maybe a month or two. But making a five shows a week uh, it seemed like you've been working there a long time right I'm sure but <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I it the the uh, move went over very well because there's the, there's the idea that a you know goofy bird would be entertaining and make kids laugh but all of a sudden this idea that that the bird is one of them and right. has trouble fitting into the world and, and he and, needed an education too that's right and he was a child like the kids at home and he didn't know any more than they did as a matter of fact we always played it so he knew just a little less than they knew Right, but they, but, and they, but they got to be, in a sense, very. Uh, I don't know whether whether is uh, like a parent to the bird, but they he'd like, yeah. he'd like to uh, be helpful to bird even because they saw he was. I made him a vulnerable character, which I think you all most children are. I certainly was because I wanted to be liked, but I didn't know how to say the right thing. I was a little kid. I was a, almost a, generally about a half a year on average. Younger than my classmates yeah. when I went to school, being born at the end of the, just before the end of the year, I was allowed to go to school at five instead of six. Oh. It would have been better if I 
had started school after six. And it should have been held back. But a smaller kid can feel as out of place as a giant yellow bird. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's some circumstances. So uh, it, it, just, it just seems so incongruous that this child character is eight feet tall. Yes, that's right. And uh, it's covered with feathers. But I think that's kind of the fun for children. I know that this is just a TV show, too, but I've been thinking about it. I, I don't know if you watched the TV show Mad Men, but it's about an era that you I wish through. I had now. Yeah. But when I, when I watch the show, and it's an era you know very well, uh, in the 60s, it's certainly not presented as a an era that was a paragon for parenting. I mean, every, every family was different, but the characters on this show are absolutely do not treat their children in that way. And there's... And just to realize that you were starting the show, that you, you were giving voice to Big Bird, speaking to children in such a calm, direct way at the same time where that wasn't the dominant, appeared to not be. I mean, you right. can please correct me, but appeared not to be the dominant parenting style in the culture at large. Yes. Well, I, I think um, just just trying to – I tried to be – I had always thought I wanted to be a, a, a educator, but I never took the right courses in school. I goofed around. Yeah. And uh, – so I, I think that it, it kind of grew in the right way, but I felt that um, children should be treated the way um, they're considered to be valuable. Their opinions are valuable, too. And I, so I tried to do what I hoped it would be like for them. I, we're giving short shrift to your other iconic character, um, <laughs> which maybe he'd appreciate being a sort of negative sort. But Oscar the Grouch is as important and as iconic to the to children everywhere. And um, I believe someone voices this in the documentary, but I have to second it. I, Oscar the Grouch is the type of character that I cannot imagine getting through a, um, a, a development process in the year 2015, you know, yes. where everything is focus grouped and vetted. But by allowing a character to be grumpy, which everyone is, it allows it's it's a truth that you rarely see, especially when you're talking about children. You yeah. know, where everything usually wants you want it all to be shiny and fast and distracting and avoid being grumpy at all costs. Right, and uh, we kind of always, by nature, just avoided. Oh, we're going to have such a goody good time today. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh yes. Uh, right. But, uh, but uh, you know, like we we do, like Elmo gets very excited if uh, the, the subject of the day comes up, and uh, always we've we've just done one. And they, 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 the kids like being dress up. So the point of that story is going to be dressing up. And uh, I, I just, I'm amazed because part of the the uh, I don't know how many people remember laughing. Yeah, I do. And uh, they, they they decided to use that as a format, you know, little bits, humorous bits. And uh, when the early days of the show, it was quite uh, most most scenes were would be complete within two minutes. Yes. And uh, and there were an awful lot of little films like Where Milk Comes From. Yes. Farms all over America. and uh, uh, But they would also be quite frank. Uh, I remember there was a, a, a state legislator in Alabama who wanted to get this show denied to be right to be seen on public television there because uh, he said it's really the show is obscene. He said there's even naked children and everything. Well, if you look at the one about, it was one, everything needs to be washed. Yes. And it said, even people. And you see a little girl, you don't see anything. But she's being washed in a bathtub. Yeah, but she's taking a little shower. But you don't see a, 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 a child, a picture that would get right. you in trouble if you owned a, a right. picture of a child like that. It was a, When they played it at the state house, he, he got laughed out of the legislature. <laughs> so they did, weren't able to ban. Because some of the criticism was, I think the real problem was that we had the first... Uh, show where where people of all color lived in the same village. Yeah, 
and uh, very forward thinking. It was it was wonderful for us as players because we all got to be friends with people we'd never been able to be friends with before. Right, and because uh, uh, and so there was a lot of opposition. And another person, my brother said his somebody he works with worked with then uh, wouldn't let his children watch because it's obviously a pinko show. <laughs> it was too communist. Because everyone's getting along so and sharing. Said, and said that, you know, you don't see them pushing money very much. That, that shows it proves they're communists. I said, I don't think you don't quite know what the problem is it's, with communism or, or us because we're not – Yeah, I've, I don't think we had anything. We don't, we're not we, – we deliberately unpolitical. That's true. Oh, I've never seen prices at Hooper's store, so maybe – Yeah, well, actually there was a little sign that said uh, egg, chocolate egg cream is 19 cents. Oh. But they never zoomed in on that. No, know? and they never – maybe the inflation never hit it either. So well, that was obviously a sign from at least 10 years before that. Say, um, just for people who don't realize it, uh, can you talk about the, the actual physical performance of Big Bird? Because this is something, you know, I've spent so, so much of my early life and again now that I'm a parent watching you, but I had no idea – the demands on you physically to be in this suit. Yeah, well, it turns out I think it was pretty good physically for me. Uh, it, it's got to be very difficult the recent, more recent years yeah. because, you know, p- pushing 80, I started feeling a lot older. And uh, I, I didn't realize I was older. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, playing a six-year-old, though, is, is very therapeutic. But you are in – to perform Big Bird, you are inside of the suit. You're wearing pants, I saw, but the bird yeah. is put over you and you are it's – It's a puppet so big you have to get inside. And your hand is up in the – My hand, I reach up as I'm – it's being lowered over me by my assistant. Yeah. And I put my hand into the bird's head and I my thumb seeks out the thumb tube where I can put my uh, thumb in it. And my fingers – then the three these three fingers clutch – the, a little bar of wood because his head is made of uh, maple and balsa. Yeah, maple where they need some strength, and balsa for lightness. Yeah, so and but maple's not light though. No. So his head weighs two kilos, which is four and a half pounds, or uh, close to it. And so, uh, I, I've had some people poo-poo. They say, I said, what what's so difficult about that? I said, well. He weighs four and a half pounds. He says, that's nothing. I can pick up 200 pounds. I said, try holding four and a half pounds over your head for 10 minutes. And uh, I, the guy said, oh, I could do that. For you. I said, tell you what, our hands weigh nothing right now except for their hands. Yeah. Wait. Oh, let's hold, put our arm up. And, uh, let's time it. There was a big clock on there in the living room we were in. And uh, so I said, let's, I'll bet you you can't hold your hand up five minutes without bringing it down. So at about two minutes, he goes up and he puts his hand up like this. I said, "No, no, you yeah, can't, you do, can't that. do that. My hand, my, my hand is in the left wing, busy picking up props or whatever it needs to do, or, or just be there." And uh, there's a little little uh, fishing line that's pretty fine; it breaks easily it, to the right stuffed wing, because my right hand can't be yeah. in the right wing because it's in the head, and uh, that's where the puppet comes in because it's pretty much a costume until it becomes up here. Uh, totally uh, manipulated by a hand, yeah. and that's the puppet, a hand puppet. And you have on your chest, you, you call it, you have a special name for it. Uh, the electronic bra. And that has the monitor that you're seeing yourself a, a in A wonderful reverse. guy, uh, John Stone brought in a friend of his uh, named Bob Byram. He was directing, I think, uh, the, as the world turns. Yeah. And if he wanted to do something different than light, a day, um, daytime TV, but of course we're daytime TV, but it's not a soap opera. Yeah. Except once in a while we'd make fun of them. With Occasionally the you do that, yes. <laughs> so uh, uh, we uh, – it was he, – he suggested, can't you get one of those little uh, 
uh, TV sets that are sold, so guys take them to football games, right. so they can see the playback of the re- the playback of the run. The thing because they're all they were their buddies arguing. That was a touchdown. Oh, that was a fall. You know, whatever. And uh, so they would bring that. He said, "Can't we wire that up and broadcast him a little image?" of what he's doing so he could see the other people. Now, has that changed over the years? Because obviously technology has gotten better and yeah, screens have gotten smaller. Yeah, but the trouble is, uh, they, lately they got a much bigger screen, but it's not too big, and it's 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 also HD, Yeah, and it's a narrow screen, I mean widescreen. Yeah. But the trouble is the unit is so big, I it's almost impossible to be wearing that and get the bird down over me. Oh. Because it's not a wide hoop. Right. And things limited. So I've... Uh, the old style's best. That's so. I like the old style. I said, well, "Can we use?" Because until this year, we've been using the sets which we got in the uh, early six, well seventies. Yeah, and uh, the ones I've been using, the low, the low, they stopped making them around eighty-five or so. Yes. So we're using older sets because I, I don't like the HDs. I mean the the LEDs because if you tip some certain ways, the picture suddenly reverses colors. Uh, and you're and you're so accustomed to the other way. Yeah, and so and the other's too big. They're too too big. There's no room in there. Mm-hmm. It's just a little space. Um, so I, I, that's what I view. Once I had those, though, I could see that Big Bird was looking at Maria when I was talking to her. I'd have to go by sound. I, th- I, I guess you're over here, so I'll pretend I can see you. That's amazing. You know, and uh, well, so. Oh. That's how it was. Over the years, there have been obviously there's been a lot of turnover in the the, the performed non puppeteer Muppeteer cast, and right. then characters have other Muppeteers have come in and taken over the characters. You're still there from the very beginning. Do you think that the fact that the characters you perform are isolated in a way you're not below the set with you know in the group shots you're no. above them has that helped you in any way? Do you think because you're no I think with that, the consistency no uh, many of the puppets like Elmo was supposed to be he, well. If he stood him up right here, he'd be about this tall. Yeah, maybe about nineteen, twenty inches tall. Um, but uh, so in order, when when he walks up to a grown-up, he they they cut the grown-up up off around their waist. Yes, and Oscar and the puppets walk up to him. Well, they must have awfully long legs suddenly. Cause yes, how was their head up here when they would be down? But that's never been questioned. No one noticed because the that. camera. That by just isolating the thing you don't see, yeah. there's so much going on that you, you you don't question it. I mean, when chicken walks in, you have to legs like a flamingo to walk in. To, you know. But then again, the chicken's walking in and singing, so you sort of have to yeah, suspend it's, it's, you dis- don't have to. <laughs> Your mind is right. Once you do that, you, you're willing to uh, quite accept. That's and, right. And, and I think that one of the Jim's creative things, he designed all the puppets from a uh, – but the interpretation of his drawings – which were simple, yeah, and crude, but but yet the basic ideas were there for the ca- builders to use, and then you turn it into that wonderful look the Muppets had. Yeah, that used to be exclusively with the Muppets. Yeah. A lot of people copy them now. I'm sure. Did a very good job copying too, and Jim never seemed to mind that. Huh. He said, "I just created a new type, a new version of puppetry," but yeah. he was very gracious and gen- generous that way. One thing that's that interested me in the documentary, the, uh, the the man who wrote the book about the show mentioned that the target audience shifted over time. It went from an yes. older kids to a younger kids, and that sort of right. corresponded with the rise of Elmo's popularity. What was the thinking? Was it the actual thinking behind that that now our audience is younger, and or, or yeah, did it just it, shift oh, that way? Well, the, the the show always takes the pulse of what America's viewing the feelings are about our show. Yeah, if something doesn't work, they don't use it. 
but they've we're well aware that uh, uh, people, so many people are in contact to us because we're open to mail and all. And uh, one of them is that uh, people would say to me, or even before the first year was over, you won't believe this, but my kid is only uh, uh, 18 months old. Yeah. And we were driving along, and the car says, look, Daddy, the letter B yes. is on a billboard. And uh, he was the kid was right, this, but this nobody ever expected an eighteen-month-old child to read letters. Yeah, recognize they never them. even mentioned them when I went to kindergarten. Yeah, uh, not no, not even a, a list of the A, B, C, D, the alphabet up on the above the drawer, the blackboards. So, uh, I I really feel that we were advanced in that, but but when we realized we were teaching them more and a wider range of children than than. Uh, and also, TV started. They took a while for them to create shows that competed with Sesame Street. Yes. The first, the three big networks tried to, and not one of the shows lasted a year. And they were kind of too tried too hard, or something. I don't know what's wrong. But uh, now, the later on, though, the competition has caught up with us, and we realized we're really good at teaching yeah. babies. And um, it's true. So, and there's nothing wrong with them if. We're never forcing it on them, but they learn from it and get a, a often a wry view of the world too because yes. of the humor we managed to put into it, which I think is wonderful. Um, I, I wonder if it's if it must be satisfying to you on a certain level that something as low tech as puppetry, physically made objects, performing them. You know, okay, you have a screen wrapped around you, but yes. it's still the same way, more or less the same way you've been doing this, and all of your colleagues have been doing it for, for 46 years. Yes, I'm the only one that was strapped to me. You're the only one that's strapped to you, but they're all still doing the same sort yes. of physical... We work with the monitor. You don't look up at the puppet, you're looking at the monitor. And often, and since we do so much material yeah. in a day, we actually read from scripts. I saw but, that you have your script on your... But you, you have to... Uh, uh, be familiar with them, but you got three full runs runs through yeah. before we start actually trying to get it on tape. But and uh, so if we make a mistake on thing, then we take two. It's often just take four, and uh, with one a few guest stars, uh, one woman, a very famous actress, she she got her lines done right at the take fifty six. Oh, please name names. No, I, I can't. <laughs> you can't do it. Um, I just wonder if it's gratifying that you know in a, in a in a world of entertainment, particularly for children, that's gotten so much noisier and 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 faster, that there's something constant and perpetually inspiring about the the work that you, that you and your colleagues do with puppets. I, I wonder if that's gratifying to you because it it it's such a seemingly simple act and it's been consistent. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think that's that uh, somehow we all managed to. Grasp what they, what those creators of the show, wanted to try to do and say, but then I think they they come around. I I know I used to be able to, used to be very free for ad libbing because yeah. I can be very funny in ad libbing. I found as did Jim experience. and so, uh, uh, but now if you add a word, it was so precise to what's been written. Oh. Uh, it said you didn't say that word. <laughs> I said. Well, in the old days, I'd have some of the writers would say, gee, I actually recognize a couple of my words to yeah. today's show because I, I would know the story right. and we didn't go away from the story so that the other puppeteers would be in a different show or doing a different story. So we would you know, ad-lib ourselves because we know, got to know the characters so well, we would uh, feel that maybe Bird would say it better this way than if it was the way it was written, but long as you really got to the same point. You know? Right. 
Well, uh, we should wrap up soon, but I, I did want to mention that one of the amazing things to come out of the documentary is that it ended up being this wonderful love story between you and your wife, Deborah, who's sitting here in the room with us. Yes. You come across as you know, such happy people. You have a rich life with your children. Uh, you travel the world. What keeps you coming back? What, 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 what is still inspiring and pleasurable to you to, to put on this, this bird suit and Well, in a simple question, uh, I've been, since I'm way past retirement age, <laughs> okay. I, I, seven, it's 16 years since uh, yes. uh, I was 65. So uh, uh, I said, aren't you thinking about retiring? And I say, would you want to walk away from being a big bird? You know, it's sort of just too much fun. Um, and it isn't that work has to be all fun. It's a lot of work too, yeah. physically demanding, physically and, demanding, yeah. and uh, and time consuming and all. But it's also it, it it pays better than the average job, but not like Hollywood where yeah. people ask me to donate a half a million dollars to their university. Like, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll write you a check now, but don't try to cash it. You'll you have a great line in the documentary where you say you don't own Big Bird. You own his soul, but you you don't own him. I yeah, mean, this is, no, that's, and I, I, I'm quite I, – I long – right from the beginning, I realized I wouldn't have thought of a character like that. Yeah. Or Oscar, or, or that uh, you could have a, a kid show where where Oscar would say, have a rotten day. One of the first toys we tried to make is when I was, Oscar was supposed to say, uh, get up, you're going to be late. You got, it's going to be a rotten day, and I don't want you to miss a minute of it. And uh, <laughs> the, the, the producer said, you can't say that. I said, can't say what? We're rotten. He said, that's a terrible word. You wouldn't use that around children. I said, have you ever watched our show? You do it every day. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I said, uh, it's not a four-letter word. And, it, you know, like eggs are, could be rotten or, or a person could be in a rotten mood. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't think that uh, – and the weather can be rotten today. Terrible. Yeah. Right? We've known a few of those the past few months. Yes, we have and, here uh, in New York. So, uh, uh, but he's, he, made, he insisted I change it to it's going to be a grouchy day. Mm. Well, that's a human emotion, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think some cats can be grouchy some days. Certainly. But so grouchy. But it's not the weather. Weather isn't grouchy. It's, it's what it is. It's just what it is. It may just wish you had a better coat. <laughs> that's the better <laughs> way to put it. Yeah. Um, I said as we were coming in, I'm having this amazing experience in my own life where I watched Sesame Street and, and grew up watching you, and, and your Big Bird in China movie was hugely important to me growing up. I'm glad. Um, and now I took a 30-year break, 30-year-plus break, and now my, my daughter is engaged, and, and it's incredibly gratifying to see that it continues and that you know, you're still doing these voices. Do you, what is This is a very vague question, but what does it feel like to have spanned generations, to have been a part of people's childhood? I'm I'm sure people speak this, say things to you all the time. How do you feel inside of not just your soup, but inside of yourself? Well, uh, it's 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 very gratifying, of course, to be able to accomplish what you'd hoped you could do. Because I'd never there's not many jobs like this ever been offered around. Yeah, and uh, we still take get new characters every so often, so it's not a totally closed shop or anything. No, it's new. And uh, but. I feel that I get just knowing it's, it has affected in a very favorable way education and ch- children's lives. I, they, so many people are now in their 40s, they were the early kids of yeah. Sesame Street since we started in 1969. And I, I think it, they said, you have no idea how important you were to our my life. And others say the same thing. I've talked to literally hundreds because I get to meet people or yeah. things I do. Well, you, you meet politicians and entertainers and celebrities and yeah. regular people every yes. all the time. With twelve nine to twelve million people, 
uh, children watching every day. Of course, with the, so many, we always encourage the parents to be with them if they can. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a sharing thing with children. Yeah, and, and we try to, that's why too. we make it funny so you'll, yeah. you can stand staying in the room. Right, with I them. mentioned Mad Men. Instead of, oh, goody, goody, we have such a goody, goody day. And no, I love yeah. watching it. There's a yeah. Mad Men parody. I mean, I mentioned that as an yeah. example. You, you, you right. engage with the culture. Uh, Joey uh, Mazzarino, who is a fantastic writer, who never even planned to be a writer. Yeah. And he, he's one of the puppeteers. And he wrote, like, instead of True Blood, he wrote True Mud. Yes, right. <laughs> with pigs. And uh, I mean, his stuff, and it's got all the stuff in it. But it fits for kids. Yeah. It doesn't matter that the kids ever watch Mad Men or True Mud, True Blood. I mean, but it's still funny. The, still we do parodies. Uh, one of the early parodies we did, I, we were all on the floor doing it. It was Gone with the Wind. Yeah, and one of the the woman who was singing, woman's voice singing, but the wig blows right off the Muppet. <laughs> The because of the wind gone yeah, with the wind. Yeah, of course. It's the wind was gone with the wind, and uh, we just could do to it's the every door of every direction you want to go. Yeah, is there that kids and if your children are watching, they're pretty safe from. Uh, it's the rest of TV that if you really want your child not to lose the, the childhood too soon. Yeah, I wouldn't allow it to be just a carte blanche television. That's because. Uh, and I, I love I love things shows like uh, I used to love Friends. Mm-hmm. I love Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. And that's I don't say you have to watch that to enjoy life, but uh, it's so much fun. But it isn't for kids either. It's not for a nine year old. Right. I, I wouldn't mind say there with my my nine year old daughter with some of the things they say. And uh, so he, so so if it's good for you, it isn't necessarily good for your child. But I think that most of what we do, we're on the right track. I think you've been on the right track from the beginning. I hope you continue on the right track for many years. Thank uh, you. It was such an honor to speak to you, Carol Spinney. The documentary I Am Big Bird will be on video on demand and in theaters the first week of May. What a pleasure. Thank you. I enjoyed being with you. Thank you very much. Bye. I didn't get a chance to say anything. Oh, my God. I, we, uh-huh. had, we had three people here. I didn't inter- interview the bird. What's yeah, wrong well, with Yeah, well, who needs to hear from a turkey? <laughs> I'm not a turkey. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Oh, you said thank you. Ha. <laughs> uh-huh. I must be losing my touch. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to all three of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.